If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and today with me is David Wood, high performance coach and founder at Focus.ceo. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks, Scott, and good to meet you. Thank you so much, and thanks for your time and understanding with some of the technical difficulties that we just had coming into this podcast. I really appreciate it. We rolled with it like the, like the professionals we are. <laughs> I'm really hoping that that comes through in the quality of the episode and uh, the audio in particular. So just to introduce yourself to our listeners, can you maybe share a little bit about you, your background, and feel free to touch on any personal company goals you might have or mission statements if you want to share them. So I uh, <laughs> I started life as a consulting actuary. You know, it always feels like I was born like that. It's a numbers, statistics, long-term uh, probability and financial flows working for um, a consulting firm in, in New York because I was good at math. So that's that's just where I went. And then I discovered personal growth along the way. I was age 26 or 7, I think. I was in New York working for a big consulting company and I was consulting to some big names like Sony and Chanel and Ford. And I thought I'd made it. You know, this is amazing. This is my career path for the rest of my life. And then someone got me into a personal growth program where they all wore name tags and they smiled way too much. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't trust you guys. This is weird. I had no background or, or context for people who actually really wanted to grow and wanted to improve the world. I didn't know about that. Fortunately, they cracked my cynicism. So they, they were ready for someone like me. And um, even though I thought they were all self-help junkies and I'm never, ever going to become one of those people, I did become one of those people. It cracked my heart open. And I coached somebody and changed their life overnight. And I'm like, wow, all right, there's something here I've got to find out more about. So I always say I think the first half of my life was about learning about systems and, and business and numbers and how to manifest results in time and space. And then the last 20, 25 years of my life have been about what is true vulnerability? What is true connection? What is true leadership and influence and uh, heart opening? So I'm an unusual 
character in that when people come to me, they're usually not just wanting more money in their business. That's one thing, and we'll start there. But they also care about how they show up as a partner, parent, friend, leader, and human. I've got one client who's just been diagnosed with cancer, and so I coached her and her husband through what's a way they could view this that would be more empowering. So did I... Did I? Oh, so, and you said, you know, touch on company goals. Well, I help business owners who are earning over 200,000 already a year to double their revenue, double their time off. And then we get to the really good stuff, which is grow as a, to be an extraordinary entrepreneur and human. That's interesting. So thinking about your career in the way that you've just explained it, it sounds like the, the first half of the career was very, you talked about having a, a maths background and being very logical. And then in the second half of your career or the last 20 years or so, focusing on the emotional side. So while the goal is the same, was that a hard transition? The transition was actually really fun. And I'll, I'll tell you about that. But, but firstly, I just realized a little more context. I, I had some trauma as a kid. We had a, a tragedy in my family and my little sister was was killed in a traffic accident and i was there i watched it happen and so uh i didn't know this until years later but one response to trauma is you shut down your emotions so it's um i i learned to be cerebral in fact when i was about 15 years old i used to be about middle of the of the of the top class at school and then something happened i don't know what it was but i started coming top And then I topped the school. And I think some of that was a trauma response. I just learned how to be really cerebral. Now, I don't don't really regret that in this moment because I got to learn about some really interesting stuff about business and systems, and that's super important. But I'm glad that I then went on a journey of rediscovering the emotional side and what some people call the soft skills, but... I think people who call them soft skills have never never really tried being vulnerable to a boardroom or 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 to anyone. They're not really that soft. Now the transition was actually fun. It's not like I woke up one morning and a bolt of lightning and I'm like, I'm changing careers. It was slower than that, but I decided to take six months off. And I asked myself, if I had six months to do anything in the world, what would I do? And the answer was I'd always uh, admired those, those guys at the ski fields who were playing a guitar and walking around the bar and playing uh, like the piano man, getting everybody singing. Like, that's amazing. I want to be that guy. So I actually quit my job in New York, went back to Australia, bought a guitar, bought some speakers, got a singing lesson. And two weeks later, I had my first gig playing in a little bar in the corner of a squash court. And uh, so I actually, for a year and a half, I just was a professional entertainer. I wasn't very good. I'm a good entertainer, but I can't sing really well. But I just did it for the love of it. Went on national TV on the gong show in Australia. And, um, and so that was my transition. And then eventually I ran into someone who was doing coaching and they had a business card and I'd been, I loved it when I got to coach people and, and uh, change their lives in New York. And I'd been trained as a coach by the 
first company that I did that course with. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to hire you. You're going to show me how this, how this coaching stuff works. I printed off business cards. I put them in my pocket and boom, there was my coaching career. And I think it was a year later, I resigned from the Institute of Actuaries of Australia, which was really hard to do after spending eight years of blood, sweat and tears to qualify. But I just realized I don't, I don't even want to do the 40 hours of professional continuing education credits to, to stay up to date with this. It's not my path. And at that point in your career, were you actually looking for a life coach yourself? I don't think I'd ever sought coaching. It definitely wasn't something we did in Australia back then. And it wasn't something my parents had even heard about. I had had a bunch of coaches during uh, the three, four, five personal growth courses I ended up doing. So I knew I knew what was possible, but I'd never hired a coach. But until until then, when in nineteen, I think it was ninety ninety nine, I decided, all right, I want to become a coach. So I hired my first coach, uh, but he was also just getting started. So eventually, I upgraded. Because I figure if I want to be really good at what I'm doing, I should go for the best. So I hired one of the top coaches in Australia who had the kind of practice I would like. And I think that's always a smart idea. Go and, go and find someone who's, who's ahead of you in a number of areas and is doing a bunch of the stuff you want to do. And um, that was Christine McDougall, and she really helped me to uh, accelerate my practice so fast. I started speaking and, and getting out there and, and being on stage, which was terrifying. I still get scared, but, but now I also love it. And also, because this is the Site Visibility Internet Marketing Podcast, it's probably also relevant to mention that back in 1999 and 2000, I started getting interested in, yeah, I started creating my website and I got interested in how do I rank? and the search engines. And I'm very proud to this day to say that out of 23 million results at the time on Google for, for life coaching, uh, we, I achieved a number one ranking. So that was, uh, I'm still pretty thrilled about that. Uh, and that's for life coaching, right? Because you can achieve a number one ranking on obscure phrases, but this was for life coaching. There are a couple of things I want to unpack from what you were saying, which are really interesting to me. The first is, I think as you were talking, you were saying, just from your own perspective, you were at the point in which you did, you were looking for a coach, you wanted to find the best coach. And just starting there, I am curious to know uh, from your perspective, what does best coach mean to you? Anyone that's maybe listening or anyone that's sitting at home that's perhaps thought about the idea of seeking a life coach, what should they be looking for? That's a great idea. And you might want a life coach. You might also want a business coach. Now there are so many different coaches. You might want a relationship coach. My focus now is, is business coaching. But I, again, I make the point, people don't come to me if all they want is more money. I'm not the guy for that. There are plenty of people who will just work with you on that. People come to me because they want someone who's going to take into account the whole person. Because you're not a different person at business than you are at home. And you're not a different person at work than you are at home. You are the same person. So I, I've, I've coached executives who want to practice being more curious with their staff and their coworkers and their boss instead of, their, instead of being arrogant. 
for example. And I'm like, well, you can start at home. You can practice curiosity with, with your wife, your husband, your kids, and uh, see how that goes. And then you can go to, back to work and you can practice it there. It's, it's all the same stuff. Now, the best coach, I think if you're interested in getting a coach, you can get a budget coach. And that's not a bad idea. If what you're working on is something really simple, you might get someone who's been coaching for a couple of years or a few years and is, you know, not charging a high fee, that could be totally valid for you. The other end of the spectrum is you might do what I did is I, I said, I want someone who's been at this for a long time and they're really, really good at what they do because I wanted to really accelerate what I'm doing. Now, obviously that cost me more. I had to put down some real money, but you also, you know, the expression, you get what you pay for. I think when you really put down good money on the table and it's got a bit of sting to it. And I think that's the ideal coaching fee. It shouldn't break the bank, but it should have some sting. Get you sit up and notice you show up differently. You're going to do what your coach advises you to do because it's just crazy to pay really good money to someone and ignore them. Um, so it's a way of getting your own attention. Uh, so I, I'm not saying go and, go and hire a top-level coach, but I'm saying it depends on your goals. If you've got the budget and you really want to accelerate what you're doing, to me, it just makes sense. Get, get someone who really knows their stuff. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. And I'm glad you just touched on goals there because it's a nice transition into another area that I wanted to talk about. And that's you've just referred to them as goals. And I kind of think of them from a marketing perspective as triggers. So I'm interested to know what might trigger someone to get in touch with you. So what are the most common goals that CEOs come to you with 
for example, one you just mentioned was the desire to be more curious and where to start with that. Are there any other commonalities that people come to you with? Wow. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the biggest ones is they they realize that what they've already done is only going to get them so far. Right. So they, they usually most of us will reach some kind of a plateau with the knowledge we already have. And they realize, oh, wait a minute. Hey, there's another way to do this. And they want to be more productive. They want to increase revenue in the business. They want also to increase leverage. That's another thing because a lot of people are working very, very hard, but not productively. And that's such a waste. And it can lead to burnout and overwhelm. So those are some of the symptoms, overwhelm, possible burnout, feeling scattered. And this is one of the problems of particularly being an entrepreneur is that we see all the options. We see all the possibilities and all the strategies. There's five different target markets we want to help. There are five different problems we want to solve for them, five different promises, five different traffic sources. It's overwhelming just talking about it. So. Usually, you know, they, they hear me on a podcast like this and they realize, oh, yeah, okay, I've got some shiny object syndrome. I keep chasing all these different things. And maybe if I just focused on a few core key issues in the business, I could actually progress twice as fast. And uh, let me go and find out if there's another way to do this. Hold that thought on shiny object syndrome because I want to get back to that. <laughs> but, okay. um, before we go on to that, one thing I was interested to know is that do you tend to get people come to you that are quite far into their exploration of feeling distracted and having lack of focus? So what I mean by that is, is their need quite urgent at the point in which they contact you? Or do you get people that contact you very early on when they realize, hey, this might be a problem? Or do you get a range of different people that come to you? at different ends of that scale. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's a range. Some people will only go for help when things are really bad. And so listeners, you, you, can, you can judge for yourself which category you're in. You might be that kind of person. Things are really bad. I will go and find a therapist or a doctor or a coach or something like that. There are other people at the other end of the spectrum who are always looking for how to improve. They're like, look, if I, like Bill Gates, I think, I think he said, everybody needs a coach. You know, Bill, Bill wants to learn bridge. He goes and gets himself a bridge coach. I think I'm in that, in that category when I wanted to learn this computer game and I want to get really good at it. I went and got a coach for that. I, I just started dating three months ago. I went and got a dating coach. It's like, like, why not? Give me some new ideas. Give me some new perspectives because I don't want to keep doing what I've all, all, always done. Uh, and then the, so, so that you got some people will only get a coach to put out fires. You've got other people who are already high performers and they know they can go further. So they're not really fixing anything. They're just going, instead of going from bad to uh, okay, they want to go from good to great or great to excellent. And then you've got other people in the middle where it's, it's not so urgent. They've just, they've heard something on a podcast and they're like, oh, shiny object syndrome. Yeah, that sounds like me. I'm always going from one thing to the other and I'm always responding to email instead of working on the things that will really move the needle in my business. I'm responding to text messages. I got the kids knocking on my door. I, uh, 
I just I know what it what it can be like to feel really really scattered. And my mission is to help mainly business owners come back to focus. What really matters to you? What? Where are we heading? Like in a year from now, what would have you do the happy dance? And then what will you agree to not do? Because it's not just about what you're doing, but what will you agree to not do and either delete or delay so that you can work on what's going to move the needle? And you mentioned kids as you were talking, and that's something else that I wanted to ask you about in terms of the people that you work with, because I know you're a high performance coach, which doesn't mean that you're strictly a life coach. But when I was thinking about the concept of being a life coach, it occurred to me that you must have to get get to a point just through age where you've experienced life enough to then need a coach to help you unpick everything that you've been through and everything that you're going through. So is it fair to say that you tend to work with older CEOs or middle-aged CEOs as opposed to maybe people under 30? Oh, that's true. Yeah, I don't know if I have any clients under 30 right now. I had one a, a couple of months ago. Um, but, yeah, normally they'd probably be more like 35 mm. to, to, to 55 would be my standard age range. I, you know, I don't, I don't do a questionnaire and say, oh, you're too young or you're too old. I don't, I don't care how old. They are, but usually they've reached a point in their life where they've tried out a whole bunch of different things. They've got their own business up and running. They've got a great product or a service. They've got a, a, a good reputation and they're just like, okay, I like they're probably coaching other people on their team, but who's coaching them? Mm. That's the, that's the question. Yeah. That was an interesting thought for me coming into the podcast because I realized that or my assumption at least was that people might seek a life coach once at the point in which things feel like they're getting too heavy, too much, and they're getting too distracted, their goals are becoming less clear. Whereas I think when you're earlier on in your journey, particularly as a CEO or at that level, you maybe feel like you don't need a life coach, whether it's naivety, ego, just youthful exuberance, maybe you don't feel like you need one, but perhaps there's a role for the life coach for the younger CEO as well. Yeah, for sure. The, the thing is, you can't read the label on the jar from inside the jar. So really, sometimes the biggest value I bring to my clients is I'm another head and I'm outside of yours. Now, it, it, happens, it happens that I think I'm, I'm pretty intelligent. So I'm a good head and I happen to have a bunch of coaching skills as well. But just someone who's outside of you. Is going to see stuff. I, I coach one of my clients is a is a marketing and copywriting expert, and and on on one of our our calls, I I asked him for his elevator pitch, and it was terrible. It mentioned a bunch of uh, what do you call it? an acronyms. There were it was like all all these letters. It was just really hard to understand. And I'm like, you want to try again? He's like, oh, wow, I can't believe what just came out of my mouth. And so we got it down to where a caveman could, could grunt it. And we got it really simple. And he said, I can't believe this. This is what I do for all of my clients. But I can't do it for myself. And I, I'm the same. As soon as I wanted to rebrand uh, and create this brand, Focus.CEO, I went and hired a coach straight away. I think I had two coaches. At, at the time, one for accountability and the other one just for straight branding stuff because I can't, I need someone to bounce it off. I need someone to challenge me. I need someone to say that's too complex. Let's 
let's get it down and down and down and down. And finally, we got down to, all right, business owners earning over 200000 feeling scattered, and they want a double revenue. That took two months to get down to that. And I, I couldn't do it without help. And I'll tell you what else, I wouldn't have been nearly as much fun without help. Just me trying to do all this stuff, everything in my own head. No way. It was so much more fun to like, you know, send it to my coach. What do you think? And the coach is like, all right, well, I've done another mock-up. What do you think of this? And we'll throw it back and forth. There's a lot to what you're saying that I think you have to be really emotionally intelligent to, to be able to give the kind of feedback that you're talking about. And actually you touched on it at the beginning as you were talking, you were saying that sometimes coaching skills can be seen as soft skills, but you challenge anyone on that particular thought because they're actually some of the most difficult introspective lessons to learn and to handle. And I'm curious to know because coaching mentorship there's a fine line between that and therapy. And I think you mentioned the word therapy as you were talking somewhere earlier. Do you ever get to the point where you start to, again, maybe you, you break down someone in a way where you do start to unpack or, or pinpoint trauma in someone's lives. And that's beyond your work as a coach. Is that oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and also ethically as a coach, we have to be really clear about basically there's some, territory that's not mine and it's and it belongs to a therapist like i i once when i was first starting out in fact my very first client said you know i'm I'm having visions of, of of cutting myself with a sharp metal object i'm like really okay so that would not be my area that would be the area for someone else why don't i help you get in touch with someone who knows about this kind of stuff and 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 see how that goes and if that person tells you that it's okay to work with a coach under their supervision i'm happy to keep working with you but this is this is beyond my area now i think it helps that i've had trauma as as a kid and and that i've also you know i've had a lot of anxiety and depression in my life which might have come from that trauma or not i don't know but i wish i didn't but it's it's a fact of my life and i've I've learned 30 different ways of how to cope with it. I think that's useful mm. partly because some people will trust me with their own issues. Once they know that I'm not larger than life, I'm a, I'm a real human with my own stuff and I'm always looking for how to do my own life better. They will then often trust me with, with what they're going through. And it's, it is a bit strange sometimes for someone to go from, you know, we're, we're looking at their, at their budget or how they're going to, uh, improve their marketing one week and then they're just falling apart the next week because something happened with their partner or um, you know the whole family's got covid and they're feeling like a failure and we'll switch gears and we'll and we'll get into that and i i'm totally happy to to deal with strong emotions i'm happy to deal with uh i love love it when we get to you know the real human underneath and one of the differences between coaching and therapy is I, I'm not really, we're not going to go back and talk about your childhood. We're not going to, that's not my area. What, what I'm interested in is what, what, what do you feel is in the way right now and how can we get around that? I was going to ask where do you think that line is between, because coaching and therapy have similarities in terms of their intention, 
But do you think that's where the difference is, the level of history that you go into? Yeah, exactly. And, and I also do, I do, when I do one-on-one, I have a group program and I, and I, for some clients, I do one-on-one coaching and those sessions are quite short. We do 30 minutes. They prep, they coach themselves before they, I give them a form. They coach themselves. I read that and then we dive in. So it's really laser focused. So we're not going to spend an hour just like, what was it like for you growing up? I'm more interested. Let's suppose I've got a client who I've got, I've got one client who has some issues getting on with other executives in the company. And sometimes I might be like, I think just last week I said, you know, there's a part of you that wants to be right all the time and thinks you're smarter than everybody else. And there's a part of you that thinks that you're not enough and you've got to constantly prove yourself and you're trying to to belong. And I said, you know, we're tribal creatures. We, you know, we're back in caveman days and cavewoman days. If you didn't belong, you would die. And I said, so this is fine, but just, you know, I said, my story about you is that this is two sides of the same coin, the ego. Now I didn't go and study all that and I'm willing to be wrong. And I'm like, how does, does that fit for you? Does that resonate? He's like, yeah. You know, half the time I'm trying to be, you know, I feel like I am better than everybody else and they don't understand my brilliance. And the other half the time I, you know, I'm the new kid on the block and I'm worried I'm not going to fit in. I said, great. Now, and because communication is, is, is my, my real specialty, I'm like, let's find some artful ways that you could shine some light on that and come clean on that with people. And he's like, really? He said, you mean like I could maybe even say to someone, hey, I'm the new kid on the block and I feel a bit, uh, you know, out of my depth at times and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to fit in here. And I said, well, what do you think? Do you think you could say something like that? He's like, yeah, I think I could. And it might actually bring me closer to people. And I said, yeah. And ironically, you sharing that's probably going to have you feel like you belong more. I'm a massive fan for transparency, I got to say. I think nine times out of 10, it's it's a winning move. And people might call it a soft skill, but you just got to try it to realize how scary it is and how much courage it takes. Well, I was just thinking about that from your perspective and that you've got you've got to go through this process for your clients of giving a lot of feedback and they're not always going to receive that feedback well, at least their knee-jerk reaction. They might reflect on it and think about it positively, but I imagine you get a lot of knee-jerk responses which are actually quite difficult to manage. And so what I'm curious to know is how do you manage that process because you're inheriting through proxy of your conversations lots of that stress sometimes maybe trauma sometimes anxiety apprehension and so it it must be difficult for you to detach from it so is there anything that you practice to help detach yourself from the from the emotions so that they don't dwell on you and they don't drain you or is that just a natural skill and ability of yours well i don't know if detaching is the right word or the right goal for me as a coach i don't I'm not like an empath out of Star Trek where I, you know, I I take on everything that someone else has. That's, it's probably part of my trauma response as a kid is learning how to, how to shut down those emotions. But I, um, I like feeling moved Mm. with my clients. You know, if someone's feeling really upset about something and I, and I, and I'm touched, then I think that's a wonderful thing. And I'll, and I'll share that. 
it was such a beautiful thing to be with my client who's diagnosed with a serious illness and her husband and walk them through it. It was magical. Mm. She even gave me permission to share the, the recording of that. It was just a magical experience to be with them. And I was so, so touched and, and moved. And sometimes I'm sad. Sometimes I'm lit up. And I think that's important for me to bring that and bring those emotions. I might say, you know, hearing that, I feel, I notice I feel angry on your behalf. Or hearing that, I feel, I feel sad. I, I don't think they want a cardboard cutout. I had plenty of that as a kid. I think they want a real human. And um, switching the focus a little bit more to switching the focus to focus, interestingly, uh, I just wanted to touch on, you talked about the shiny object syndrome, and I really want to get into that. And also from your perspective, the commonalities, the common items that lead people to be distracted. So what comes up for you most regularly? Just again, as, as an example, you were talking, I think you mentioned you mentioned just home life and that the, the work-life balance between work and at home, if you've got children, that can be sometimes a distraction depending on how you see it. Somewhere there you mentioned uh, maybe just things being a click away. I can't remember exactly what you said, but I'm curious to, yeah, to know what, what comes up most regularly for you in conversation. Uh, about shiny object syndrome? Yeah. What distracts the CEOs that you coach? What kind of comes up most regularly? What the commonality yeah. And I'm guessing shiny object syndrome is one of those things. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So we, I think life's gotten more and more complex. That's my story. I wasn't around 200 years ago, but I imagine it was pretty simple. You wake up, you decide you're going to chop down a tree. You go out, you chop down a tree. That's a good day. Pretty simple. And then now things have gotten so complex. We've got so many systems that run our life. You've, you've got a music system. You've got different apps. You've got different speakers around the house. You've got different ways that you play music in the car and you whatever. That's a whole pretty complex system. We've got a couple of hundred systems running in our insurance system, how we take care of our body, our feeding ourselves system, our system for maintaining the house and keeping it clean. And this is before we get anywhere near our relationships, before we get anywhere near our job. And if we're, we've got our own business, then we've got 20 different hats often in the business. So, whew, you know, it's a really complex world and getting more and more complex. So the distractions, well, all these different systems to manage can take our attention. We've got, and then our own brain, if, if, if let's, let's talk about the business owners, you see all these different possibilities. So, what should you focus on in your business? Should you focus on Facebook ads or go for Pinterest ads or Instagram ads or go for SEO? Should you um, do podcast appearances like I'm doing or go and speak to groups? Should you work with alliances? Like, and that's just on the question of traffic. So I think there are so many things that can come into our brain in terms of the options at the macro level. Then on the micro level, let's just suppose I've sat down to work today. Well, what should I focus on? Should I just start with email? Should I work on my traffic sources? Should I work on my staff? What should I work on? So there's, there's potential distractions. And let's suppose I've chosen something. I've decided 
uh, so I'm looking at my board. I've got a, a, a scrum board and a to-do list up here and I've got uh, check Facebook ads. All right, let's suppose I've sat down to do that. What about a ping from my computer? Oh, there's an email. Or my phone pings. There's a text message. When I go and check that message, my IQ drops. They've done studies that shows that for 15 minutes, your IQ drops because you, you've kept that text in your head somewhere. You may not even respond to the text, but it's, it's been a distraction. And then maybe you get a phone call. And then uh, someone knocks on your door, someone that you, a roommate or a kid or a partner wants something from you. So how are you actually going to work? We're not very good at multitasking. The human brain isn't, doesn't seem to be designed to do that. We can, we can do one thing well at a time. And this is without your own brain coming in to distract you. Let's suppose you turned off all those other distractions, which is what I get my clients to do. You sit, they sit down, they blocked off a sprint, two hours. I'm going to work. I'm going to check Facebook ads. I'm going to uh, polish my lead magnet. And then I'm going to set up that SMS app. That's what I'm going to do in these two hours. Now, that puts you 90, ahead of 95% of, of other people, by the way. You've blocked off two hours. You've told everybody I'm not available. You've turned off all your distractions, and you're only going to do that. But then your mind comes in. Oh, I forgot to order that on Amazon. I could just do that in a second. Oh, I didn't get back to so-and-so. I could do that. Hey, now that I've started checking the Facebook ads, I've got an idea for another ad. Why don't I start that? Okay, I started that. I need an image. All right, I'm just going to go and ask Jenny for an image, and now I'm creating another ad. I'm not checking Facebook ads. I'm not doing the lead magnet, and I'm not doing the SMS app that I said I was going to do. Does any of this sound familiar? The interesting thing for me here, because there's a lot of discussion around this at the moment, particularly because of the the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, which everyone is kind of talking to me about and raising in my podcast, and now I'm taking my turn to raise it with you. Have you seen that documentary at all? I, I haven't seen it. I've heard it's very oh. disturbing, but I haven't watched yeah. it. There's, there's lots about there's lots of talk in the in the documentary about social media platforms engineering their platforms to essentially get you addicted to using platforms and spending as much time on their platforms as possible. And so, what I'm curious to know from your perspective, it sounds like you're still of the optimistic view that despite all of these ongoing distractions these increasing distractions the ads the emails the videos the story content that we're exposed to you still think it's possible to take control of what is essentially our declining attention spans absolutely absolutely and that's what it's this is this is perhaps the main focus of my business now is helping people take control of what you said is that ever declining attention span now i uh I, I don't I don't think addiction is bad. I think we're addicted to lots of things. We're addicted to water. And that's not bad. So I used to think addiction was scary and now it's like choose your addictions well. That's that's my answer. So I I woke up this morning and I thought, I want to check Instagram. I didn't get to it and I never do, but I thought because uh, one of my addictions has been a, a, a computer game. It's a hugely complex computer game that I, I like to try and master over and over and over again. And I've recently uninstalled it. I'm kind of going through withdrawals. And I thought... I want to know what game it is. Pardon? I want to know what game it is. It's StarCraft 2. Oh, interesting. Star 
Yeah. And, and I go through phases. I'll, I'll, I'll like really devote myself to it for six months and then I'll uninstall it for a few years. But I was thinking Instagram, that's not a bad addiction to see what my friends are up to, to see what's going on with them. I don't usually have time to do it. I'm like, that wouldn't, now I see why people might do it because they don't have Starcraft in their life. They're like, all right, I'll, I'll check through, you know, so I don't think addictions are bad, but we need to balance our addictions. We need to like, cause if I play Starcraft for six hours straight, I'm not going to feel good about myself. And if, if all we do, if we just constantly distracted and checking email and then checking Facebook and then text messages and whatever, at the end of the day, there's a frustration. There's a frustration that, oh, I, I could have done so much more. And I don't want that for any of you listeners. I want you to feel like you nailed it, like you had chosen what was most important, and then you nailed it. So, yeah, you turn off your distractions, not all the time, but for your sprints. And so if there's one thing you get from, from this, this episode, I would suggest that you block off sprints in your calendar. I think two-hour blocks are good. And then show up for those sprints. And you'll choose at the beginning, this is what I will do. You turn off all your distractions and then play a game. Play a game called, I'm going to do only this. I even have sometimes have my clients have a later list, have a notepad next to you. And when something comes up into your brain or you catch yourself not doing what you said you would do, you write it on the later list. And then after the sprint, you can come and decide if you're going to do what's on that list. It's actually, it's actually like meditation. But instead of meditating on your breath, you're meditating on the task at hand. I think that's a great note to close on. Uh, but before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about the kind of topics that we've been talking about today, more about you and where to get in contact with you? Sure. I actually have a gift basket. I, I, I created a little gift basket of goodies for listeners. So I have three things for you. One is a cheat sheet on the fastest way to double revenue. And if you're not a business owner, you don't care about doubling revenue, uh, it'll help you with your productivity hugely. There's a short video on how to actually implement the cheat sheet. And then uh, I will do a 15-minute double your revenue audit with you if you want to identify where the low-hanging fruit is in your business. Because your plan to double revenue is not going to be the same as someone else's plan to double revenue. And in 15 minutes, I can usually identify, all right, looks like this, this, and this are the first three places you're going to start. And you can get all three of those things at myfocusgift.com. Brilliant. That link will go in the show notes as well as focus.ceo, your website, um, anything else that we've discussed or referenced today uh, in the episode, I'll link to in the show notes as well. And for now, I'll just say thank you so much. That was a really interesting episode and I really enjoyed my the conversation with you. We got real in this one. So thanks, Scott. No problem. Take care. Bye-bye. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, the Kantar podcast, 
now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a one trillion dollar tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK.